you want? Why, do I have to want something? You're a cop. You're either curious about me, you want to give me some shit. I don't understand you, Wilson. Curious. You're not a... You're not a psychopath. You're not stupid. I am an asshole. Can't take everything away from me. Nobody gave a shit about when we first came on. Anyone with half a brain, myself included, thought it was destined to fail spectacularly. But you got lucky. All you motherfuckers are gonna pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. We're, we're making a podcast. Please clap. And welcome back to a whoa. <laughs> oh. Had an extra thing on the autoplay there. I'm not sure why. Oh, welcome back to another powerful transmission of the Reboot Deboot podcast. I'm your co-host, Griffin. I'm here too, Alex. The, the Lawrence coming Fishburne off the high. Ah. In this. Yeah. Oh, we're coming off the high of the rebooties. Yeah. Yeah. No one sent yeah. their awards yeah. back yet. I know. Uh, how you been, Alex? Uh, been good. Uh, hanging out. It just started snowing outside of my window. It was nice. Oh, nice. You got snow up there? Snow on the beach? Yeah. Well, it's not, it doesn't look like it's sticking to the ground. Or maybe it is. Ooh, maybe it is. I don't know. Ooh. Um, yeah, I was kind of wasn't expecting that. How are you guys all doing right. with all those fucking the biggest wildfire in Texas history? Is that anywhere near you? Uh, I hadn't even heard of it. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, it's like a million acres so... <laughs> or something on fire right now. Yeah, I until you mentioned it, I hadn't heard of it, and I've been getting news updates every day. You don't even get like so... air quality weirdness. God damn it! Like when I was here. <laughs> A few years ago when Canada <laughs> caught on fire, I couldn't breathe down here, and we're a few states away. So, all right. Um. Yeah, Texas <laughs> is a big state. Man. I get that, but still. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah, you're right. Smokehouse Creek fire in the Texas panhandle. Oh, so that's like down by the Gulf or something? Wait, is that where the panhandle yeah. is? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I until until just now I'm finding out about this live right now. Wow, this must be pretty devastating for you. I'm sorry if you, you <laughs> need a moment to think about um, this fire that you didn't realize was going on. Yeah, uh, I don't want to sound insensitive because wildfires are serious. Um, so I just want to say, if anyone out there is having a hard time right now, reboot deboot understands. And uh, we wish the firefighters uh, the best of luck to help uh, recover and save anyone. And, um, you know, good luck out there, Texas baby. Texas baby. Yep. Um, but yeah. Um, no, nah, man, it's, uh, you know, we're just looking for a new place. Um, Pretty much it, really. We're just, you know, keeping head down. I have uh, tweaked my resume because I'm looking for a podcasting gig or like a radio gig. Hmm. Uh, so I am going full on entertainer. I brought up, I made a whole new resume. Uh, you know, been doing podcasting and vlogging for like over a decade. I link in the podcast. I put in all my other uh, like sources of work, like Buzz Critics and all that. So you know, good to go. Hmm. Should uh try try getting work as a carnival burger. You'd be good at that. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Appreciate your fucking vote of confidence. I just, you know, it's a lost art. Uh-huh. I think. Uh, uh-huh. Barking. I know what you need. Doing. I want more barkers. <laughs> just in general. Yeah, like those little Victorian kids that would yell at or. Those little newsy boys that would yell about extra, right. extra. Want that? Want carnival barkers? 
<laughs> Why don't I just get a fucking monkey with a fez hat? An organ little... grinder? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An organ grinder. That was the first thing I thought of, but I was like, I don't know if people know what that is. <laughs> Oh, no, no close-up magic, please. It's the, the bridge too far. Is it, though? I mean, it works out for, like, David Copperfield. <laughs> yeah, but David Copperfield is like, it's like saying people, well, I don't know. I don't even know. Do people think David Copperfield is cool? I was going to say it's like asking a lot of <laughs> financial advice. But I don't even... <laughs> What about Chris Angel? <laughs> yeah these could all be your heroes isn't you he back them. i have no idea man i, I think he's back with something he's like with a new yeah. show or he, he has like something. a close-up magic though guy though right he was, he was a big well, weird spectacle rock and roll magic <laughs> yeah but it was all done with like camera tricks and shit yeah, well, I mean, it's a magic show. Yeah, it's done with camera tricks. But, but not like he's he's not like pin and teller magic. Like, like Chris Angel was doing shit like deliberately paying off the crowd, oh, and like her. the stuff that he was showing was clearly like I mean, pre-recorded and prefabricated and stuff. It wasn't like pin and teller where like they're actually they have a level of skill required in what they're doing, and then they expose how they do it. You know? Yeah, you know. Uh... You do David Blaine chicanery. Oh God, he's still camera tricks only... too. It's just a smaller, yeah. a smaller scale. The only good thing about David Blaine is that David those series of David Blaine parody videos. Oh yeah, where he's terrorizing that gay um, couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. Yeah, <laughs> you David Blaine. Yeah, those are really good. Those are really good. Uh, hmm. Um. Ah, uh, okay. That that's good banter. Good magic banter. Good. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm, you know. Uh, so, Alex, uh, why don't you tell our audience, fill in our ears, uh, what the topic is today, my friend? We watched Assault on Precinct Thirteen, 1967 John Carpenter movie. Oof. And Assault on Precinct Thirteen, the 2005. John Francois Richet movie. Whoop whoop! That's the sound of the police. Whoop whoop! Yep. <laughs> sure. Uh, Alex, what's your experience with ex- assault on precinct thirteen? Uh, I think basically none. None. Mm-hmm. I remember in two thousand five seeing trailers for the remake. Uh, I don't know if I knew it was a remake. Uh, that was it. I don't think I knew anything about either of these. Uh, what about mm-hmm. what about you? Uh, I hadn't seen either. I knew they I I knew they existed, and that was the end of it. That was the start and end of it. Yeah. Cool. So this was right. first That's time viewing. Very cold. Yeah. Um. So Assault on Precinct Thirteen is John Carpenter's second movie. Was his first one? Uh, Starman or Dark Star? Oh, Dark Star! Like I've that. heard good things about Keith. Really likes that movie. And keep on meaning. Yeah, so, like, so John, I believe, if I'm correct, I think John Carpenter's first movie is Dark Star. Then it's Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Then it's Halloween. Mm. God, John Carpenter, man, he's like underrated. I don't even know about underrated, but he's just. Thanks. He's made a lot of awesome movies. Well, and he okay. So, what else? Off the top of your head, what else can you think of John Carpenter? Uh, the Thing, Prince of Darkness, a uh, couple of decent Halloween movies. Oh man, I know there. I know there's a lot more. I'm having trouble. So he did Escape from New York and L.A. Oh God, yeah. He did They Live. Right. He did that uh, uh, James Woods Vampires. (laughs) He did Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, 
He made yeah, he's responsible for some of the you best Kurt Russell stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. Like I was yeah. I I think you're right. Like he is kind of an uh oh, he's not underrated. But yeah, I that's don't what I'm think gonna, like, people don't realize like how prolific he, I don't even know. It's he's like responsible for a lot of cool stuff. The I think he might be the entire reason the genre of like synthwave exists as music. You listen to like his soundtracks, <laughs> you're like, oh fuck. He's sure. A, he did like all those synth music is him also like doing soundtracks yeah. on those movies. Yeah. Like and he I think that his name doesn't like I think people go, oh John Carpenter, like horror guy. But I don't think that they like give him the respect that he fully deserves. Like I, I don't maybe I'm punching too high here, but I put him on the same level as Scorsese. Oof. In terms yeah. of like monolithic genius, all right. You don't think so? I don't know. They seem like very different directors. I'm not sure how. Sure, but, but I, I don't. I'm. They're totally different directors, but they're still like John Carpenter is as visionary as Scorsese. He he has as much ability behind the camera and with his craft to make a film as someone like that. You know. I think he gets underwritten because of the horror stuff. Um, and I think that's kind of a disservice on his name. Yeah, and he's still, yeah, he's still making stuff. Uh, so Assault on Precinct 13 came out in 1976, and it is his second film. Um, interestingly enough, uh, a lot of the... Uh, inspiration for the street gang and everything came from Night of the Living Dead. Uh, yeah, it definitely has those vibes to it. Uh, some of the gang members were played by USC students, and they apparently had a lot of fun finding ways of dying while spilling blood all over themselves. <laughs> um, so... Initially, Assault on Precinct 13 had an X rating because of the ice cream scene. Oh, wow. Okay. Really? Oh. I mean, it was uh, startling, but it wasn't like crazy bad. Yeah. I don't know. Um, now, interestingly, Alex, this movie has a connection to another movie that you love. Okay. Following the oh here it is yeah following the release of his first feature Dark Star, John Carpenter was approached by a group of investors who gave him carte blanche to make whatever kind of picture he wanted, albeit with a very limited budget. Although Carpenter wanted to make a western, he knew he wouldn't have the resources to make a period piece. He wrote this film as a highly stylized modern day western, essentially remaking Rio Bravo. Hmm. Okay. I haven't watched Rio Bravo in a while, but... So, in some ways, we are watching a reboot. We are watching a remake of a movie, like... You know, is this another, like, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo to uh, Fistful of Dollars? Is, is Rio, Rio Bravo, Bravo an assault? Like, dead? Or, you know, Assault on Precinct 13, apparently. Um... So John Carpenter paid homage to the British distributor of the film, Michael Myers, by using his name for the iconic Halloween killer. Ooh, we're establishing deep lore in the John Carpenter case. <laughs> John Carpenter said that this was the most fun he's ever had as a director. Uh, John Carpenter wrote the score in three days, and he made three to five separate pieces of music and edited them accordingly. Yeah, that's awesome. As a result of this film, Donald Pleasance would appear in such John Carpenter films as Halloween, Prince of Darkness, and Escape from New York because his daughters were big fans of the movie. Who was Donald Pleasance? He's uh, he's um, the doctor in Halloween. Oh, Looks, right, right, I can't right. think of yeah. his last name. Yeah, the terrible um, doctor. <laughs> he's got a bad case of being evil. Right. Uh... <laughs> Laurie Zimmer hated her performance after seeing the dailies. John Carpenter, however, thought she did a great job. Is this this a, film the gal that shot played Lee? Own... Yes. God, she kicked ass in this. Yeah. She did. She really did. Um, 
This film took was shot in only 20 days. Damn. Okay. Uh, John Carpenter has said that he based the score uh, to this film on both Lalo Schofren's score to Dirty Harry and Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song. Huh. Okay. Uh, the station house is referred to as Precinct 9, Division 13. That's Get the sign above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the sign above the door reads Division 14. I I was very confused by it. I was <laughs> waiting for I was like wait so we're we're in precinct nine not the thing the movie is called and then the sign on the door I was for about thirty minutes until like stuff kicked off I was like is this a misdirect are we gonna move to the actual precinct yeah. before things go awry <laughs> so now I clocked this early on but the guns were actually stock western like gunfight noises. The gunshots? Oh, interesting. Okay. So the shotgun, primarily used by Napoleon Wilson with devastating effect during the station fight, is a model 1897 Winchester pump shotgun. The weapon was enormously popular and enjoyed decades of official service, both with police departments and the U.S. military as a trench gun. Yeah, he was uh, he was mean with that thing, too. Uh... see kim richards who is kathy is the older sister of kyle richards who plays lindsey wallace in john carpenter's halloween hmm. nice uh the theme music has been sampled by bomb the bass hip-hop on precinct 13 and the bass line used by u2 on the song new year's day This film was nominated, uh, it's included among 2001's list of 400 movies nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding American films. <laughs> Wait, what? 400 movies nominated to be in a top 100? Correct. Okay. Uh, Kim Richards plays Kathy, who was also Janet Leigh's character's name in John Carpenter's The Fog. The editor is credited as John T. Chance, which is a pseudonym for director John Carpenter, in homage to John Wayne's character, Rio Bravo, the storyline of which is Assault on Precinct 13. Wow. Wild. I, I know, right? They don't have any like, al- like ex-alcoholic crooners hanging out to sing. <laughs> Uh, so those are some fun facts about Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, the budget for this movie was $100,000. Damn. And it had way more success in Britain than it did in the United States. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Alex, what was your experience with Assault on Precinct 13, 1976? I thought it uh, I thought it kicked ass, and now hearing about how scrappy it was being made, I think I like it even more. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was great. Like a supernatural <laughs> crime movie, but with, with a fun multiracial gang of, uh, Los <laughs> Angelinos. The White Thunder or Street Thunder. Is that what the whole gang was called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, it felt like a zombie movie to me in a fun way. Um, like, watching the dudes pile in through the window and then just get mowed down one-on-one. I was like, oh, these people are just playing. They're playing Call of Duty Zombies. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like the the sort of freaky, like, supernatural vibe that was going on the whole time. Uh, The John Carpenter soundtrack. It's awesome. It was just uh, really good. It's a nice, concise, like, hour and a half, which I always appreciate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good pace. What about did you have a do you have a decent time with this? Uh you know, I was I did I I did. It wasn't what I was expecting though. Hmm. What were you expecting? Like a I, like more heavy like action kind of movie or like a I, crime I, thriller yeah. kind of thing? I I was expecting a little more like well I was like, expecting more like gun shootout, but I was expecting a little more story. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, instead of just like, and here's some setup. It was and then... <laughs> very little setup, like very minimal. <laughs> um, but I appreciated it. You know, I, I knew this was an early Carpenter film. Um, I didn't know how early in his career. Uh, so learning everything about that and, um, you know, again, like $100,000 bare budget and they're just filming as much as they can and they've got all this and they're just going for it. I really got to give credit. It's hard to hate movies that are made like that. Yeah. Because they're coming at it from such an earnest place. It's such an earnest place of like filmmaking and it's such a, uh, like, yeah, you can criticize them, but they're doing it to the best of their ability. Like, you're literally criticizing a movie that's doing the best it can using every resource it has. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's impressive how much of the stuff John Carpenter does. He's like the writer, the director, and the soundtrack guy, and I think maybe the editor, too. Like, it, it's like it's him and apparently a bunch of film school students, you know, making this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> pretty great. And, it, it, you know, you can see John Carpenter knows his way around a film, like the way he frames things and he creates this atmosphere of unease because it does feel like a zombie movie at times. It feels like a horror film. Yeah, the, the gangsters and, you, you know, are... Uh, they're, they're, menace, they're, they're very effective at making them menacing. Like them just sort of like rolling around in that black car, stalking people. I was very, I don't want to say alarmed. I was like, when the when the man shoots that young girl eating ice cream with like zero hesitation, I was Dude. definitely startled. <laughs> I was in that. Co- I was like, whoa, yeah. whoa! Like, I was like, this movie, and I thought to him, like, this movie's gonna get fucking crazy. Like, if that's what we're seeing before the assault happens, this movie is gonna be wild. Like, I have no clue. Yeah. Um, the interesting yeah. thing too that's cool, and I, I it, the new one kind of does the same thing, but usually I'm used to characters having plot armor now. You know, I'm mm-hmm. used to like, okay, well I know these people are going to survive, and I know the the, the it's kind of like the final girl thing. Like you can tell who has final girl energy and who's going to make it. And in a lot of movies, like if the if, if a movie has the rock in it. The Rock's not going to die, but so you don't need to worry about that, that character. He can't die or lose fights, isn't it? It's a whole different but, but kind of armor. But I mean, like, just in plot armor in general, like, sure. uh, you yeah. know, you never have to hesitate. Like, if Denzel Washington's in the movie, probably not going to die. Ethan Hawke is in the movie, probably not going to die. Keanu Reeves, probably not going to die. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, any leading man who's do, in a like movie, no, no matter, right? Like, no matter how high the stakes are. These are characters you can't ever really get attached to, or you, you can get attached to super easily because you know they're going to make it through in some way. But when that little girl gets shot in the head, all yeah, plot yeah. armor for these characters went out of the window for me. I think, I think it was in the chest, right? I mean, not super. No, but... no, no, no. Because when I mean, the dad walks up, he looks at her and she has a gunshot wound in the head. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to, I can't. <laughs> So I watched both of these back to back like last Saturday, and I remember it standed it stood out to me in the remake how every every time they showed someone dead from a gunshot, it was from a shot to the head. Uh, but okay, maybe I didn't hear it too. Uh, but yeah, yeah that was because uh... they were so like those four those four sort of uh, a <laughs> mysterious gang member guys. They're so like the warlords. And, yeah, they're so like slow in plotting with everything. Like they're. They have the ice cream guy there, and they kind of just like menace him for a little bit, and they're taking forever to shoot him when he's on the ground. And he sees that little girl, which is like zero hesitation. It was. I wanted vanilla wild. swirl. Bam! I was <laughs> yeah. like, "Fuck!" Like <laughs> no in refunds. that moment, all no all plot armor went on the window. I'm like, "This movie is going to be fucking crazy." It wasn't as crazy as I was expecting, probably because of the budget. But it was still pretty wild to see, like, the standoff and, you know, the guns galore. And that secretary, uh, she is fucking hardcore. Lee, yeah, the one who gets shot in the arm yeah. a little bit. And then and who, and who doesn't movies. react at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's just, like, stone cold, calm the entire time. Like, in char- like knows exactly what's going on. This is the energy of someone who has been secretly running an office around a bunch of dipshit cops for 
Whatever she said it was. One of a bunch of idiots who don't know what they're doing. It is very cool. Um, so briefly, Alex, what is the plot of Precinct Thirteen? So they're we're in South Central LA. Um, the movie opens with the cops sort of gunning down a bunch of a. They call them like youth gang members in a voiceover thing, but these, I guess, I mean, I guess college students looked older or something, but these people all look like they're in their late twenties, early thirties. Um, <clears throat> starts with a bunch of them being gunned down, and then we have like this this fun group of four. <laughs> you would call it out in a radio broadcast in the movie. This like this multiracial uh, youth gang. So we have this scene of these four dudes that are credited as various like racial warlords. There's like the white warlord and the Chicano warlord and the Asian warlord and the African American warlord. But they're all doing this kind of like blood packed thing. They're like slicing their arms open and The Cholo. Yeah. Which <laughs> is that is that a real thing? Did you look at that? The at all? Cholo. It's a blood war and it means they're willing to die themselves for the cause. We don't find that out until later, but that's what that means. But I like how that was just like, like was Lee one of the people who just like knew exactly what that meant right away? <laughs> um, but yeah, they all put some blood into a into a fishbowl, and then then they go out and uh, get a bunch of weapons and drive around L.A. and do a little bit of like light terrorism kind of stuff. They. They end up killing an ice cream man. There's a there's a, a guy with his daughter that's driving around. They end up killing his daughter, and he manages to okay rewind. While this is happening, we uh, <clears throat> back towards the beginning of the movie. There's this uh, this cop who's going out on patrol, Bishop, and he gets called as soon as he starts to shift and told that he's going to go oversee. He has like a special assignment. He has to go to uh, Precinct 9 in Area 14 or 13 or whatever. And they have this uh, police station that they're decommissioning that's like mostly shut down. And he's basically just going to babysit it overnight while they do the final bits of this uh, cut over to a new station that's going to be happening in the morning. Uh, so he goes there and I get the lay of the land. That's him. I think they're, it's him, this woman, Lee, who is, I don't know, secretary, she's like the office manager or something. Um, there's another gal who is a secretary, and they're at the station. Then also, meanwhile, we have this bus that's leaving a prison to deliver some prisoners, including this guy named Napoleon who is, I think, going to jail for life right after this. Napoleon Wilson. <laughs> Napoleon Wilson. Yeah, who's, you know... Why is he called to... Napoleon Wilson? Uh, we don't find out, right? Because he doesn't die. Mm. Uh, anyway, so this bus is going. There's a man who is conspicuous. One of the prisoners is, like, conspicuously very ill. He's coughing. He looks like dog shit. He's sweating a lot. Um. While the bus is driving, this dude gets sick enough that they end up having to stop. They, the place they stop is this derelict police station that's being decommissioned. Um, so they end up there at night. We have like Bishop and the gals are there. And then also this dude whose daughter was just killed. He's been chasing these gangsters. He ends up confronting them and he shoots the white one. And then he kind of flees into this police station. So then we have, like, all of our players are there. Um, <clears throat> then a bunch of, like, basically, like, a bunch of gang members just sort of start materializing out of the ether around the police station. And they start menacing them. And then they, uh, so at first they're, <clears throat> they end up killing, like, five or ten of the people in the police station. Just so fast. Most of the cops are very dead very quickly except for bishop um 
it. And then then they, they throw that fishbowl full of blood and they lay down the banner. We hear this thing about the cholo. It means they don't really care. They get a, they're willing to lose anything to, to get it. I think just the old white guy, the dad, is the one they want. Um, and then we kind of go into this, this siege where folks hunker down in the police station as hordes of dudes try and come in through the windows and whatever other hole they can get a handle on. Meanwhile, like the phone lines have been cut off by the phone utility company because of the move that's happening. Because the building is being decommissioned. Yeah. So they, they can't really get any outside help. They're <laughs> we cut around to like these other scenes of someone patrolling in the area, like in a response to a gunfire after there's a bunch there's a after like one of the bouts of shootouts goes on. But we're basically like, it seems like there is no help on the way. Um so we kinda watch the shootout happen for a while. They do their last stand. Uh I mean, that's most of it. What it gets down to like four people. There's Bishop, Napoleon, there's Lee, and then... And then there's the man in shock. No, oh. it's the dude whose daughter was killed. Well, there's the dude whose daughter was killed, but there's also there's that other prisoner who makes it pretty close to the end until he tries to go get that car. You know? I think he counts as one of the right. final four. I mean, they're not the ones in the basement, though. Yeah. Okay, so... They yeah they they kind of hunker down. They are besieged for a while. They decide they're going to make their sort of last stand in this basement area of the police station after finding some acetylene uh, tanks. They're going to rig up a bomb basically and try and funnel a bunch of people down to this hallway and then shoot these acetylene tanks and blow them all up. And they end up basically pulling that off. It works. And then right as they do that explosion thing, the so like the cavalry shows up, um, and everything, everyone is saved. I don't. Yeah, that's basically it, right? Yeah. Uh, short, sweet, and honestly, uh, you know, I, I was trying to think about it, and I, you know, Souls on Precinct Thirteen. I watched it, and I don't know if it's just a movie of the time. Or if this is John Carpenter's ability, but there is something about Assault on Precinct 13 that makes it look and feel cool. It does. I think it's I think it's a lot of, I think for me anyway, it's John Carpenter's soundtracks do a lot of work. That synth sound that he has in so many of his movies, like Halloween has the same kind of thing too. I mean there are straight piano parts, but there's also like the warrant, like the sort of droning synths. Um it just sounds so cool. Yeah. yeah. There was, I, I, I don't know if it's the style of the camera or like the, the way everyone looked or the way they acted, but overall there is something like dirty cool about Assault on Precinct 13. I would, it had like the same dirty cool you can see in like the Warriors movie. Yeah, it definitely, late... it had Warrior vibes to me. It kept on thinking of like, especially like with the way the gangsters showed up and everything. It definitely felt like the Warriors at times. It had, yeah, it has like a layer of like cool grit over it, where it's like, man, you can almost tell this is bare budget, but they're like they're squeaking out every ounce they can get from every penny they had, you know. And it, it, maybe it just has heart. Like maybe that's what it is. Maybe these movies that are made like that just have a lot of heart, and the heart is what makes it cool. Like, the actors were having fun. Uh, the director, writer, slash editor, soundtrack guy is there, and he's really trying to do the best money, like, the best version of a thing he can do with a limited budget. And everyone is kind of working towards the same goal. And there's no worrying about, well, we're not going to do a sequel, and we don't need to worry about a remake. We're just going to try to make the best movie we can. And John Carpenter, it doesn't seem like he was under the like heavy guise of any major studio or an executive who'd say, well, cut that scene out, like <laughs> cut that scene out, take that out. It, like, it doesn't seem like that. If we got an X rating for killing that little girl. Um... Right. You know, and that X rating uh, was in Britain In America. The film oh. got an R rating. Yeah. R seems appropriate. Um, 
but it, none of the, like in most today you wouldn't see a kid get iced like that. You saw it in uh, what it part one with the death of Georgie, but outside of that, when's the last time you saw like a, a child just get murked? I can't and remember it showed last time. I feel like we watched a horror movie a little while ago where I thought like maybe something was going to happen to these kids. Uh, I can't remember what it was though. <laughs> but then they ended, up, um, they ended up being fine. It's pretty memorable when a, <laughs> when a yeah. small child gets shot. <laughs> like, and so there is something respectably cool, gritty cool, like. 1976 cool about assault on precinct 13. I, I maybe it's the heart of the film, maybe it's uh the finality of everything, the culmination of the actors and the environment. Um, but it is just a very respectable film, yeah. I mean, I agree, it was super cool. I had a good time watching it the whole time. Um, and the I love the sort of the final four or three people we end up with, like they sure have, there's they have such cool chemistry together. There's like a very fun group. Um, I really like the interplay between Napoleon and Bishop. Sure, they had a cool little buddy thing worked out by the end there. Uh, Lee was awesome. Like we were saying, I don't. She's just like stony and cool <laughs> the whole time. Now, there isn't much of a plot, and or or it, it's kind of ham-fisted together. Like this guy shoots the gang member, shoots and then and then he goes into yeah. the precinct, like a, and then it's a it's like a haunted house movie or like a zombie movie or I don't know. They're just like some, but in this one, the supernatural forces, <laughs> a youth, a multiracial youth gang, right? <laughs> um, now. I knew that Assault on Precinct 13 hadn't been remade. So in my head, I was like, oh, cool. The remake, I don't know why I thought this. Because I was wrong, spoiler alert. But in my mind, I was like, oh, the remake's going to make this a better version of this movie. I was wrong. It's a much different version. Of the <laughs> it's a much different version. It loses that cool feel. Like, uh, much like Tomb Raider, this movie suffers from being made in the early thousands. Yeah, the intro, the the beginning scene uh, where Ethan Hawke is like that undercover meth head really did not set me off on a good footing. I was immediately like, I don't like, I don't like this. I don't. I warmed up a bit by the end of it, but uh, it took it took me a while to get there. <laughs> so uh, that being said, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, the remake came out in two thousand five. Uh, the budget was $30 million. Damn. I don't... And the box office take was $35 million. Good. That sounds appropriate to me. <laughs> um, we've got Ethan Hawke, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Maria Bello, Ja Rule, our boy Ja Rule <laughs> yeah. showing up. That was scary. Uh, I thought he was going to have more to do, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> John Leguizamo out of nowhere. Yeah, he also was in this um did you know mark Wahlberg was originally offered the role of the uh officer but turned it down the role of like ethan hawk or yeah joe uh, ronick yeah or jake ronick yeah <laughs> jake mark Wahlberg was <sighs> jake ronick yeah. uh so lawrence fishburne's character is called bishop this was also the last name of the protagonist in the original assault on uh assault on precinct 13 However, Ethan Hawke character, Sergeant Ronick, goes by the name Napoleon, which is the first name of the main criminal in the original Assault on Precinct 13. And they race-swapped the villain. They did that. uh, He's not the villain, right? He's just the criminal. The guy who's being in custody. The, the, Um, The crime lord who is responsible for mass murders and drug operations. Yes, the crime lord. Okay, in the context of the film, he's not an antagonist. (laughs) Sure. But I I don't think, I mean, 
do they get into what Napoleon did in the original one? He's like, he's going to jail for life, but I don't think he was like, there were like, he, uh, or whatever. He just killed a bunch of people. Yeah, that's fine. Uh-huh. Um, the word fuck and its derivatives are spoken 127 times. Really? Wow, I did not clock that in a movie at all. That is in a movie that is 109 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, that's all I got. Not <laughs> There's not a lot of fun facts. Not for this one. Um, and it kind of deserves that, right? Like this Assault on Precinct 13, the remake. Man, it was such a letdown. Yeah, it was uh, turning the sort of the small scale, like people boxed in weird, ominous force outside and then turning that into just like a full blown action shooter movie kind of thing was a weird, well, I don't even know if it was a weird choice. It was 2005. Maybe it's a very predictable choice, but I, they, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I didn't buy anyone's character except for Lawrence Fishburne. I thought Lawrence Fishburne was really good, and he was good enough that I feel like he made Ethan Hawke more believable in the scenes they were both in. But I did not like Ethan Hawke most of the time in this. Yeah, I I like Ethan Hawke, not in this though. Yeah, I don't. I just um, don't buy him. I don't know, or didn't. Yeah, like you were saying, I didn't. I was not convinced by his character in this. This weird sort of like. And the relationship between him and his therapist really uncomfortable it's not a good one what really yeah. and like the secretary of the office too <laughs> yeah i don't know what her deal is i love that actress she said so she's a main character in the sopranos uh who's that is uh that's andrea damato right yeah yeah um so i like i like seeing her and stuff i'm not sure what was going on with her character of this one is <laughs> like suit yeah her person her, like her character traits were like should be like alarmed by something and then talking about how horny she was and that was it just sort of pinged back and forth <laughs> it, it starts off with her telling the story about how she was having sex in public at a baseball stadium to two of the cops who are helping shut the station down <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, so do you fuck criminals? She's like, I don't fuck criminals, I fuck bad boys. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, fine, but it seems, hmm, okay, I don't know, weird, maybe normal dialogue, but it just seemed out of place knowing what kind of movie this was supposed to be. It was, yeah, it was, it struck me as a little strange, too. Whoa, oh, John, okay, John Carpenter is only credited as a writer on this because of the original one, but yeah, I don't. James DeMonico? I'm not sure what he was... Not sure what his deal is, but... And, like, the weird, like, Ethan Hawke being kind of, like, sexual predatory predatory towards his therapist. Oh, what? I mean... I mean, I don't don't want to say it's flirtatious and fun, because it definitely seemed like he was doing it out of aggressive. Like, I don't know. I didn't feel good about it. It's not fun for sure. I don't know if I'd say like say, it, I would not look forward to my appointments if I was the doctor there. I mean, like this dude is just gonna try and make me uncomfortable. Talk about saying how weird shit like that. How he, yeah. how I want to fuck him and how he might be right, but I can't tell him he's right. And it's like I don't. <laughs> Why mm, I, have... I don't understand. <laughs> I guess it's like so that they're. I don't like that's having... Dr. Alex uh, Sabian, who is Marina uh, Maria Bello. Yeah, I guess like is having a love interest or uh, like romantic interest compulsory or something. It seems like you don't really need that in a movie about a police station being sieged. I thought it worked. Well, really... you don't because they kill her towards the end. Well, yeah, but they're. Uh... I don't know, but that's like that happens after like a, the romance has progressed a little bit, right? Right. Uh, and then it's weird too with Iris, the secretary, 
when she is with Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Marion Bishop, and she's like, like, this is after the place has been sieged a little bit and, like, you know, people have died and it's clear they're, like, they're going to be in for some shit. She's like, I can't stop thinking about sex. Oh, God. And then, and then Lawrence Fishburne's like, well, the, you know, Eros and Thanatos, love and death. It's natural. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing that? Why is this conversation happening? Like, I like, I mean, for as lame as kind of most of the other characters were, I didn't, I didn't mind. Lawrence Fishburne, sort of like philosopher criminal, was fun. And I thought, like, the thing I kind of appreciated, I guess, is I thought this was just going to be like, oh, Lawrence Fishburne runs such an extensive criminal network that people are going to break in to get him out. I appreciated that it was a bunch of dirty cops trying to kill Lawrence Fishburne so that he didn't flip on them. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting the, way to do things. Yeah. The, the, that is the story I was looking for. Everything else, though, I could have done without. Yeah, I think by the end of it, I sort of like, maybe this was Lawrence Fishburne. Maybe this was all due to Lawrence Fishburne uh, being good. But by the end, I like I was like, okay, Lawrence Fishburne and Ethan Hawke have a bit of like a tenuous sort of buddy thing happening here that I was kind of liking uh i don't know not real. like the characters were not fun to be around most of the time except for lawrence fishburne and, but and now is it implied too by the end of the film does that mean that iris and jake are gonna hook up jake oh the main cop i don't know what are they yeah what do they say well because she like she wraps his arm. Like this is after everything has happened and everyone's been killed or arrested or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Iris, the horny secretary, wraps her arm around Ethan Hawke, and she's like, "Damn, Sarge, you were like a whole nother badass guy back there." And he's like, "You better get used to it." As he's got a cigarette in his mouth, and it's like, we already established she fucks bad boys. I don't think that was. And, meant, I think that was meant and, to more meant to signal that the character arc of Ronick has been completed now because he's like sort of. See, I, I, I don't know. I don't think this movie is that smart. Well, you could argue. I think we could argue about whether it was like pulled off or not. I, I think it's just a ham-fisted way of being like, look, the character's arc is completed, right? Because we have like sort of. There's that undercover thing that goes wrong, and both of his partners die, and then the psychiatrist, helpfully for the audience, talks about how he's like a shell of himself, <laughs> and he has survivor's guilt, and he's abusing pills and alcohol now. We see him doing both of those things during this siege. And kind of hiding from his responsibilities for the first like half of the movie, uh, and then come at up some to point, get down, did, right? yeah, and then at some point he, oh god, <laughs> who was he? Was he talking to John Leguizamo about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. Talking, he does like downers and Adderall. That was that made me that made me giggle because of how inauthentic it sounded. <laughs> so, you got to come up to get down, right? Yeah, to go what? Uh, <laughs> But then at some point he sort of decides that he's going to live and take responsibility for the people there, you know, because that's like his police chief job. And then he gets all badass and stuff. He even, yeah, he was faking a limp for the first like half of the movie. It was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> so that people didn't ask him to do stuff. Uh, I, I think that that last line in there was just meant to be like, wow, in case no one else noticed, there's been a bit of an arc here. And we're at the we're at the other end of it now. I guess I can't give it that much credit, man. I'm sorry. All right. Well, I mean, I don't like this movie. For me, was such a letdown. Like it took uh, the dirty cops thing. I appreciate like a story, but the dirty cops were not as cool as the mindless zombie game. Yeah, even like, man, you have like the sort of mastermind Gabriel Byrne character from the, the <laughs> right. Dirty Cops. Who's like, I like him a lot. I wish I had more to do than just sit in a car and be like, oh, clever. Or, oh, okay, send the, <laughs> send the artillery <laughs> after them. The, the AV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, and like... Did you notice in this how it's every time they showed someone dying, they were getting shot in the head, even if it didn't make sense, like for the physics of it. Yes. Yeah, like every dude. shot was a headshot. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, like a dude climbing a fence trying to escape, and then some commando shoots him from behind, and then it flashes to him dead on the ground with a gunshot in his forehead. John Leguizamo, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only one who doesn't die of a headshot is when Iris is being hassled by that dirty cop, and she stabs him through the roof of his mouth with a knife. Oh, yeah. That was cool. Um, what did you think about Ja Rule's third person talking? <laughs> Smiley? Smiley? Well, Griffin has some opinions about Smiley. Uh, Griffin thought it was all right. Griffin thought it was funny, you know? Smiley, all right. Griffin and Smiley could get along. I thought it was. I thought Smiley was. I I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird that they had Ja Rule being like the comic relief. Yeah, is that. They have him and Jen. Which, like, like Wazamo, I think it's supposed to be doing some of that too, but he's like spectacularly not funny it's oh it's impressive almost if you can make john leguizamo like this like unfun to be around. unlikable yeah. yeah john leguizamo has a great magnetic personality even in john wick he's still a character who's like okay cool i appreciate that guy and assault on precinct 13 i'm like man it, it, I, I don't i feel dirty whenever john leguizamo's on screen like i don't like it you know, he's like he's just like drenched in sweat the entire time. <laughs> he's like always <laughs> wet every time you see him. Well, he's sweating out the drugs. Yeah, he's DTing. I mean, I mean, I understand why it's happening, but it's you know, no, it, it, it's a, weird. A wet, and... squirrely dude. You don't want people. You don't want to be around that person. <laughs> right. It's uh, I don't know, man. Like uh, this assault on Precinct Thirteen. Again, it suffers from being made in the early thousands. There was something that happened with movies where it's like, okay, now we gotta we gotta make it cool and we gotta make it like edgy violent. Taking of Pelham 123, Death Race, Assault on Precinct 13, Tomb Raider, Blood Rain, Resident Evil, all of these movies all suffer from the same fate of being made in the early thousands. Like, it was almost like a cinematic proving ground of, like, we're going to try to take a bunch of big swings with these movies, and we're going to try to make them edgy and gritty, and we're going to try to make them hardcore and street, and they just come off as goofy or, like, yeah, goofy is the word, the correct word. It's just a goofy fucking film when you look at everything, and, and then you look back and you go, what am I watching? It does a lot of these. It just seems like they paid for the name of the movie and a basic premise, uh, but otherwise, like, <laughs> why? There's <sighs> another one where like why why invoke that original name? Like I don't, I don't hear Assault on Precinct Thirteen talked about talked about a lot right. as like a classic John Carpenter movie or whatever. Right? Like, sure. I'm not sure if paying for the name is like really buying the movie much clout i guess is like putting butts in seats just for that purpose maybe it I mean, maybe I, it is it's on 30 years after the original maybe there's some people who saw there it wasn't because like it made 35 it well, made 35 million dollars though <laughs> some some people you know maybe so maybe there were some people who were like oh yeah i remember this fun movie from when i was a teenager and now i'm in my 40s i'll go see it <laughs> the critical response, Alex, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 59% rating based on reviews from 165 critics. Uh, the remake has been praised by some as an expertly made B-movie. Interesting. And dismisses others as formulaic. On Metacritic, it has a score out of 54 out of 100 based on reviews from 39 critics, indicating mixed or average reviews. Yeah, I don't know if I... It's too, too polished to be. It's boring. Yeah, there is nothing exciting or cool about this movie. Yeah, it is as middle of the road as you can possibly get. Never Lawrence Fishburne. I liked him. I don't. (laughs) He was a. He was an island amongst all of this. Sure, in the same way that uh, Denzel Washington saved taking a Pelham 123. Like Lawrence Fishburne does the heavy lifting, his character. Um, 
we're no longer in LA. We're in Detroit. It's New Year's Eve. Um, they're snowed okay. in. There's Let's, a blizzard this time. We, we've said in the past, you know, like, the, uh, ideally a remake needs to enhance the original in some way. Let's go back to 2005. How do we tweak Assault on, uh, Assault on Precinct 13? What do we add or take away to make it good or, I don't know how, but better than the original? Like, what are we doing? How do, how do we do that? I think you make the assaulting force more supernatural and faceless would be cool. Like Just the, dudes in masks. No, well, I don't, not, not faceless necessarily, but I mean, honestly, this is one where, like, I just wouldn't have made the 2005 one, I don't think. It, it, it seems a little pointless, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, I don't know. I'm trying to think of ways, like, I was trying to think of this as I was watching this. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, every now and then I'll come across a remake, and I'm like, why? <laughs> like, well, well, why? Dog pound. Why? Re- like, why? Maybe so, someone, Assault on Precinct 13. Maybe someone could put, like, a fun spin on it and do a newer version or something, but I don't know. Kind of. Maybe the mistake was the story. Maybe that was part of the mistake. It made me think of, like, the Dawn of the Dead remake, kind of. But not. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, so you go from like a low budget sort of like gritty thing in a single space, and then you go to like a high budget action movie version of that in a nominally nominally similar space, but not really. That was down at the door okay, in the here, mall, right? Well, well, let me. Okay, let me. Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Uh, let's take away the dirty cops. And let's bring it back to street level. So let's make it a street gang. Highly organized street gang. Uh, They are the rivals of Lawrence Fishburne's empire. They are a collective of different criminal elements that have come together. Now that Lawrence Fishburne has been arrested, they're going to kill him because they think that if they kill him, they can take over his territories. Right? That is the assault. Uh... Let's, because we need to make it us versus them all the way. We don't need us versus them plus a secret cop who is working for them against us halfway through the film, right? I don't know. I do like the message that the, the cops are <laughs> most of the cops in this movie well, are assholes. I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't care about that conversation in this though. I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make it cool. I, I'm trying to make it good. I'm not trying to uh, put the system on. You know, I, this isn't that movie. John Carpenter didn't want that for the original, clearly, so I'm not going to do it for the remake. Um, there are dirty cops, and that is a problem, and you should never glorify a system like that that has actually brought so many different groups of people, neighborhoods and communities. It's too divisive. Like, Of, of course, of course. But for Assault on Precinct 13... For one minute, we'll have like four good cops, one like two, like one secretary or like one dispatch or one desk jockey, and we'll have like two or three criminals. All of them are dead except like two or three people by the end. We'll have like uh, the over um, the overbearing force outside. How okay? How do we isolate? Do we go with a snowstorm or do we go with a decommissioned? Because I like the idea of a decommissioned. Um, the decommissioning of the police station. That's why they don't have phones, radios, weapons, people. I, I like that. So we will keep that. But how do, in the modern world, like in a city, how do, how do we get that siege happening? I, I gotta be honest. My heart is not in punching this up. I just, I like the John Carpenter one enough that I don't want <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm just trying to, like... <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's one of those unnecessary remakes that I'm just like... I mean, it, it it's not even stylistically cool. For 2005, you'd think that, okay, but the, science, the, the stylistically stuff cool that happens, it's like, cool, I want to just play Rainbow Six Siege now. Or I want to just play a Tom Clancy game after seeing all the tactics. 
having all the all the dudes in night vision were uh was goofy. Yeah, having them all be like <laughs> no, so, yeah, like uh, <laughs> right. It was pretty funny. It also, yeah, kind of fixes that gun problem that was an issue in the first one where like oh we right. can serve ammo and stuff. This one people are dropping like flies and they all have sh- sweet guns with them. And you know, two or three magazines and oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. About the uh I like that. What were you expecting? Got away. I I was expecting basically just like a. I don't know what I was expecting for the original John Carpenter one. Um, I was I was pleased by what I got, but I. I might have been. I was expecting like a big action movie for the remake, and I think it. I, now at this point, I think it's because I was mixing up in my head the advertisement, the advertising for the movie SWAT. And the advertising for the movie Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> Which I don't know when SWAT came out, but I feel like it was a, it might have been a few years before. Um, but that that ended up not really being totally off SWAT 2003. Uh I haven't seen SWAT either, so I don't know. That could be really small too. Sure. But it ended up basically kind of being what I thought it was gonna be. Um, like way more actiony, lots of shootouts. Uh, mm-hmm. more and more like escalation from the the like paramilitary force that's attacking them. I don't know. I mean, when it starts with Ethan Hawke and the undercover thing, like I said, I was not, I wasn't <laughs> looking forward to things then, and then I continue to not look forward to things. Yeah. It just has a, like, it's always, we lose most of the time with these movies from the early thousands. Like, anytime it's a remake and then the movie is, like, like 2001 to, like, 2012, it's, we, we usually lose. Yeah, 310 to Yuma, maybe. A good one. Um... Yeah, I'm not, it, I'm it, not look, sure. it, it, it's not compelling. It's not as compelling as the original Assault on Precinct Thirteen. It's not as like it. It is more violent, but it is not as cool violence. And it doesn't glorify violence, but it just—I don't know. There's something about '60s and '70s like violence, like whether it's from a kung fu movie or a western. Or something like Assault on Precinct 13, where the violence is just more shocking. It's it's more eye-catching. As opposed to now, it, it's kind of blasé. It's, okay, so this guy got shot, and that guy got shot, and blah, blah, blah. It, there's nothing really stand out uh, spectacular about a kill in modern action films. Um Every now and then, you know, lightning in a bottle comes along and you get something like John Wick where it's like, oh, fuck, this is a great fight scene. And maybe you get like a reasonable or like a really cool, like, oh, that kill was fucking awesome or like, great. But there is something more that was more common of an era that has been since for like almost forgotten about, you know, cinematically speaking. I I mean, I don't think the original John Carpenter, like, they're just. They're blowing dudes away as they crawl through windows. They're not like fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I can yeah, just, but yeah, fun, like but fuck it's yeah. Not like, and it's not like super. I don't know. Uh, the I do get what you're saying about there's like these early two thousand just like really generic action movies that came out that are not not a lot of fun to watch. No, they're not. They write like they. It, it, it's almost like if we just use the name of a property that's really popular or like cult fan base, we're going to have a hit on our hands. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, again, I can't even imagine that was like the motivation here. I don't, I really don't understand what happened, but uh, the guy who wrote the new one also wrote the purge. Most of the purge movies. Oh, good. So he found a thing that he liked to do. 
It's actually very <laughs> sim- the first Purge movie is kind of similar to that. a bunch of people locked in that house as they get menaced. Hmm. Right. So I guess he did kind of find his thing, maybe. Yeah. The first it, thing he ever was... wrote was Jack. The Robin Williams the movie? The Robin Williams movie? <laughs> That's wild. I know. Jack the Negotiator, Assault on Precinct 13, Skinwalkers, Staten Island, and then The Purge. All the way through. Cool. Well. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he found a thing that he liked to do. Purge movie. <laughs> it worked. Movie. Holy shit. There's I know. I know. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, so, I don't know, good for him. <laughs> found, he found his calling. He found it. This wasn't this. Um, so, Alex, when it comes to Assault on Precinct 13, do you think we should reboot or deboot? Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> deboot. I got it. I don't... I don't know. I mean, the, the John Carpenter one, fine. It's great. I don't... I don't think there need to be remakes of it. This one really missed the mark for me. So uh, I'm going to join you on that one. I'm going to say Deboot. I, I don't think there's a better version. I don't think we can get a better version of Assault on Precinct 13. Or like need one. I wasn't left. Right. At the end of the original one, I wasn't like, oh, I wish they just fixed these few little details. Like 310 to Yuma? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, I'm going to have to deboot uh, Assault on Precinct 13. I'm going to join you on that one. All right, womp womp. Um, is, do you have th- anything else you want to say about either film? Do you think we've covered it all? Do you... Yeah, I think, I, think, I, think, I think we've done a fine job here. Um, and also the soundtrack on the new one. Not anything... I'm having trouble recalling any <laughs> no. of it, which uh, is a big change compared to the John Carpenter one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, then I guess, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, audience and hearers, uh, thank you for joining Alex and I once again for Reboot Deboot. Um, go check out the back catalog. And if you're interested, hop over to the Patreon. Um, Alex and I are actually going to hop on over there now to discuss something. Uh, but. Until next time, guys, uh, we are Reboot Deboot, and we will see you next week. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. Well, we better get going. I wonder, will we ever see each other again? Who knows? God willing, we'll all meet again in Spaceballs too. to search for more money. Kawabunga.